Hello and welcome to the Moral and Religious OCD podcast. This episode discusses the topic of embracing uncertainty. Our guest in this episode is Kevin Foss, who had some very valuable insights. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist, specializing in treating OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. He is the director of the California OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center and hosts the FearCast podcast, a question and answer based show about OCD, anxiety disorder, treatment and recovery. As always, our disclaimer, please note that every effort is made to ensure the information provided in the podcast is accurate, yet it should not be assumed that everything said is completely objective. In other words, sometimes mistakes happen. What we say should not be taken as medical advice nor therapy. It is meant only for educational purposes. Please consult with a qualified healthcare professional for your individual care. If you have any questions or concerns or suggestions or anything really, please email those to moralocd at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes. Uh, it's a busy time, obviously, in, in the summer, lots of things going on. So it uh, means a lot, especially with uh, the time change. Right? You're in California. I'm in Toronto. So it worked out. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, a lot, lot of. A lot, a lot of trouble trying to wrangle down a time, but glad we could finally figure something out. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could maybe start off by introducing yourself and uh, telling listeners, uh, yeah, what you do. Sure, yeah. So um, my name is Kevin Foss. I'm a, a uh, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist uh, in, uh, in here in California. Uh, I'm also, um, oddly enough, also um, licensed in Montana. So uh, licensed in both states, I do. Uh, I run a, um, a private practice here in California called the uh, California OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. Uh, we're located in Fullerton, California, and uh, we do uh, online therapy. We do in-person therapy. Uh, do uh, intensive treatment, um, weekly treatment, uh, just you know, however things go. Uh, in addition to that, I also um, have a, uh, a podcast, I suppose, like everybody else is a podcast uh, called The Fearcast, and it's a question and answer based podcast focused on uh, OCD and anxiety disorders. Lovely. Yeah, thanks for sharing. How long uh, have you been at the treatment center for? Um, I started the program here uh, in um, in 2019, and uh, so we've been in practice since then. Uh, I, we, we started in 2019, and we were, you know, super optimistic and things were going to go great. And then, you know, four months, five months into our being open, the pandemic hit, and we were all but certain that you know, all all, all business was just going to fall off. The you know fall off, and the world was going to you know turn it turned into the zombie apocalypse but it you know turned out to be fine and you know here we are all these years later um prior to uh, opening this program i was with uh, the ocd center of los angeles which is another um uh, private practice in uh, in los angeles they do you know o- online intensive in-person group uh they're they're a great place hmm. that's cool yeah i feel like 
after the pandemic, the sort of online therapy model sort of um, took stronger form, right? Before it sort of used to be this uh, in-person, face-to-face model, and then we sort of became comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I think people really got comfortable with the idea of doing teletherapy. Um, I'd been doing teletherapy since, gosh, like 2009, uh, 2009. So, you know, I've been doing it for a, a long time. Um, you know, here and there, it certainly wasn't as as popular. Um, at OCDLA, we did a lot more. And then, um, you know, as I transitioned here, you know, a lot of people like the like the privacy of being, I you can say the privacy, you like the privacy of being, you know, one-on-one in an office with somebody. Some people like the privacy of their own home. So it, it, it has, people have really gotten more comfortable with doing teletherapy as a, as a, a, a means of seeking treatment. And I think that's, that's, what's wonderful about it is it's, it's helping to meet the needs of folks who may not have sought treatment before or not been able to. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. I'm, I'm always curious about how, you know, therapists have gotten into the field, especially treating OCD. Um, how did that play out in your life? Why were you drawn to this profession? Right. Oh man. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, so it's a, it, it's an odd, it's an odd question for me. Well, I suppose it's two different questions. The first question is, um, why did I become a therapist? And then the second is why did I, why did I become an OCD therapist? Is that kind of it? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Why did I become a therapist? I mean, I became a therapist you know, like, like everybody else. The basic reason is I wanted to help people, um, you know, um, grow, took a psychology class in high school, uh, you know, like a half a semester, or half a year class on it and thought it was interesting and thought I'd, I'd major in it and in college, um, switched over from being a music major very quickly into being a psychology major. And, um, I just really enjoyed it. If I, you know, obviously with it, like everybody else found it, found it interesting, found it, uh, applicable, um, you know, to a certain degree as, as, as odd as this statement is, it feels tangible, uh, and doable. Um, and, uh, in, in that, you know, part of college, I was in a, an, uh, an internship practicing, uh, peer counseling and, and I just really enjoyed it. So went off to grad school and not really knowing where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. But, um, part of my story and where I became an OCD therapist is, um, I, I was trying to do music as well at the time. Um, and I was, I, I had watched the, Metallica documentary, if anybody's out there has seen some kind of monster. Um, Mm. And in that they have a family therapist working with the band. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want (laughs) to work with Metallica. So um, I I sought out some folks who kind of specialize in that. There really isn't a specialization to work with Metallica. Um, But, you know, people who work with bands and musicians and whatnot, and kind of that's, that's kind of where I want to go. So um, they recommended, the person I spoke with recommended that I seek a uh, internship with um, uh, anxiety. So I did. Um, and I worked, I, I, I was able to get a job with the, um, with the Westwood Institute for Anxiety Disorders. Uh, they're an intensive outpatient program um, just off of UCLA's campus in, uh, in, in Westwood, uh, California. And, uh, and it's 
from there that, um, you know, I still had the idea that I wanted to work with musicians and artists and I still love working with musicians and performing artists and, and the, uh, those folks. Um, but, um, but there I just realized how much fun it is to work with OCD, how interesting it is and, and just how, how wonderful the people are. Um, and it's not to say that people, you know, in other, um, you know, struggling with other um, uh, mental health issues or in different um, populations uh, aren't, aren't wonderful, but there's just something, something. Um, uh, so, so I, again, I keep going back to that word wonderful about the, the, the people within the OCD community that has made it so, uh, so uh, welcoming and exciting um, uh, and meaningful to, to work in. And, uh, and from there, I've just, just kept on going in it. And, um, um, I, I'm, I'm not looking back. Hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. I've heard it described that, you know, a lot of people who struggle with OCD are deep thinkers. Is that true from you, from your experience? Uh, yes, and um, unfortunately, that is that is a, a, a wonderful part about them. This is kind of the what, what I it's the OCD double edged sword. It's that you know folks folks with OCD and and other anxiety disorders they they do think very deeply. They're very very intelligent people can think very broadly about a lot of different things and go very deep into a lot of different things, um, and that works really well in a lot of areas of their life, and then. In other areas, it becomes a, a problem. Sure. Yeah. I mean, overdoing it is is certainly uh, an issue in OCD. Um, that's awesome. That's a great story. I appreciate you you sharing those details. And just out of curiosity, did you ever get to travel with with a band um, as a therapist? <laughs> no that that would be no that would be. Uh, um, that would be a, a dream that's beyond my my brain to entertain. Okay, that would be that would be way too much fun. Um, and uh, and I think now that now that I'm you know married, have kids, and you know I've I've a, a, a business I'm trying to run. I think that um, I think going on tour with a band while fun is is I, I think I've I think I've missed that that boat mm. uh, the, at this point in my life. But you know we'll 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 see. Yeah, we'll see. never say never. For yeah, sure. Right. Cool. Um, awesome. Oh, yes. Yeah, so. If there are any bands out there that, that are looking for a, a therapist to hang out with, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. There you go. There's the plug. <laughs> um, now I was wondering um, if we can talk a little bit about this idea of, of uncertainty and how it relates to OCD. I think it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, right? Embracing uncertainty or tolerating uncertainty. Um, I think I've even saw a t-shirt, right? With that slogan on the front. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, yeah, wondering if we can start there. Um, how might this idea of uncertainty uh, relate to obsessive compulsive disorder? Right. Well, um, uncertainty is, is, a hallmark of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, it's, it, it's, it, it's a central problem that leads folks to compulsive behavior. Um, that idea of uncertainty and not, you know, not, not being, not being sure about something, not being sure about, 
their cleanliness, their future, the safety of their relationship, the security of their relationship, the you know, strength of their feelings for somebody. And, you know, as, as it relates to scrupulosity, the, the, their uncertainty about their relationship with God, their, you know, understanding of the proof of God, um, you know, that the uncertainty is a, uh, is to a certain degree, the, problem when it comes to OCD. Um, and, and something in, I mean, the problem with uncertainty by itself, it's, or uncertainty by itself is not a problem. We have uncertainty in life and it's just a reality of being human and a reality of just life in general. We are uncertain about a lot of things. And, you know, there's, there's the way to approach it of seeing is uncertainty is, simply not having information. And until we have information about something, we are uncertain about it. So we don't have that information. Then once we gather that information, we have that information, we know it. Obsessive doubt, this is kind of pulling from the ICBT um, inference-based approach. They talk about obsessive doubt, which is now questioning that which you've already known or questioning information you've already gotten. And that's what sucks you into that world of, of OCD doubt, the world of rumination and compulsion. So, um, uh, looking at, so I, that, that I, I answered way too much of your question. Um, the, the, yes, uh, uncertainty is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's certainly helpful. So you would say, you know, someone who struggles with OCD, uh, they sort of have a very difficult time uh, tolerating uncertainty. So they just sort of want to know, they desire to be certain of the thing that they're obsessing about. Would you say that that's sort of accurate? I would say that. And I, I, I to, you know, to be, to be fair, uncertainty is a human experience. Um, we, we all, none of us like uncertainty, um, you know, fo- folks with and without uh, an anxiety disorder don't like uncertainty. We'll have it, but we don't like it. Um, but but folks with folks with then who have OCD, they then struggle. They, they get more fixated on the idea of uncertainty and can can get um, uh, can get stuck, as it were, with trying to resolve it. But um, it's a, it's, it's elusive. Certainty is elusive, if not impossible to get. Um, and, and I'll, I mean, broadly speaking, I'll say certainty is impossible to get. There's a lot of life that we take on faith that we take on, that we kind of round up and, but, and we call it certainty. We call it being sure of something. And there's an element though, that, yeah, our, our, the wonderful part about our big, human, you know, silly brain is that it can always think, it can always consider, it can take then this random thought or this, this like really out there possibility and say, well, what if that was possible? Why don't you go ahead and consider that? And it's a consideration. It's a thing that you could think about, mm-hmm. but then OCD latches onto it and says, well, what if that's the way that it is? Sure. And it conspires with a sense of overwhelm and anxiety and fear and desperation. Um, and that's what pulls people back into that cycle of compulsion, uh, compulsive behaviors, rumination, certainty, seeking reassurance, avoidance, etc. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's certainly a deeply philosophical problem too, or it relates to philosophical themes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a background in philosophy and, you know, what was interesting to me one time is we were studying a subset of skepticism called Peronian skepticism. And it was essentially the idea that, you know, we should suspend beliefs about everything, right? Being uncertain about absolutely everything, you know, does God exist? Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe, right? Are we in a simulation? Uh, You know, it could be the case. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And the intention behind the suspension of beliefs was actually to reach a state of mental well-being, um, which I thought was was funny and I think a bit ironic here, right? Because with OCD, it's it's the opposite, right? It's uh, uncertainty is the worst thing. We have to get to the bottom of something. Whereas for the Peronian skeptics, they they said, no, we we like being uncertain. And because of that, we're going to achieve mental well-being, which I thought was, was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, and in the course of treatment for, for OCD, we, we do talk a lot about accepting uncertainty and living with the reality of uncertainty. Um, and there's, there is a, there's a rounding up that we do in that process. And, uh, you know, I'd say if, if we were, if I was to meet a Peronianist, Peronist, mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> so whoever it is, whatever it is, a, a person who practices that philosophical um, outlook uh, or perspective. I, I would also say to that person, ultimately, they they they've, they've found a perhaps helpful way to live, um, and and I think there for the person with OCD, there is a component of it that will be helpful, and I'll say more functional than the way that they are currently doing things of trying to get certainty. Um, it's, it's ultimately not functional. Um, not interest not that it's not interesting or not that it's not desired, but it's, it's not functional. Um, but I'd say to that, the, the person who practices this really, they, they don't truly live in that way. A lot of us, all of us take the uncertainties that we have and we round them up to certain enough in terms of moving forward with things. We don't, I don't think we truly sit in and accept the uncertainty as, as as its reality. It's that functionally we, we make a decision that it, that is rounding up to a quote certainty and it's a sure enoughness and it's a, it's a all rightness that gives, gives our life the ability to keep moving forward um, with, with anything. I know this is um, a, a, an, an old, uh, not reference. Uh, I've, I've used this example. We too stinking much. It's, you know, driving in my car, right? Later today, I'm going to drive in my car and I'm going to go home. Drive is about 25 minutes. Um, and it may be the last drive I ever do. I might die on that drive. I might, it's certainly possible. And until I do it, I'm uncertain about whether or not it's going to happen. There's nothing that says that it's going to go down that way, but there's nothing out there that says it's not going to happen that way. There is a possibility that I need to accept that I am uncertain about, but the reality is I'm not going to live my life as if it's, you know, as if it's a 50, 50, you know, that I might die. 
it's I'm I'm kind of living my life as if I'm not going to die. And I've chosen that. Existentially, I recognize that it's always a possibility. And it's not a fun one, but it's a reality that lets my life be functional. Because otherwise, what's my other option? I'm going to ride a horse home, and that has its own problems. I'm going to walk home. That has its own problems, right? We round up, and that's to a certain degree what we have to do. And to a certain degree, that's also what we call we call gambling. It's kind of what we also call faith. But I suppose we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that was sort of uh, connected to, to the next question that I had is, why am I embracing uncertainty be so difficult to someone with OCD? Well, there are certainly some biological components to that. Um, there, there are, there are uh, structures and functions of the brain that make it difficult for someone to accept uncertainty. Um, and the, the part of the brain that's, that, that sounds the, the anxious alarm, the part of the brain that, um, produces that feeling of anxiety and the part of the brain that shuts those systems down aren't as functional, uh, with someone who, um, struggles with OCD or someone lives with it. Um, so there, there is that against them. Um, but, uh, but you can also make the argument from a, um, from a reinforcement, um, side of things that, you know, they've said, nat- you know, they said naturally, I don't like, uh, uncertainty, so I'm going to, I'm going to seek it. I'm going to seek it out. I'm going to seek certainty and I'm going to try to fight with everything I have in me. And what that can sometimes do is it reinforces the idea that certainty or um, uh, reassurance seeking, um, avoidance, rumination, all of that is the appropriate response to uncertainty. It's the right, it, it kind of says, this is the right thing to do. I should be doing these things because, you know, I, that's, that's what I do. Um, I, I've, I've, I've heard it said that, uh, your brain doesn't know you have OCD, but you show it what's important to you and you show it what the right thing is. Um, and you know, the stuff that you spend a lot of time thinking about and doing your brain assumes that you like those things and want to spend a lot of time thinking about those things, even though you don't, your brain goes, gosh, you know, um, you know, Sarah keeps spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, whether or not she's going to, you know, run someone over with her car. Gosh, she must love that thought. Well, let's give her more of it. She loves that stuff. Yeah. And I think connected to that too is, is the idea that OCD latches onto what's important to us, right. Or to the individual struggling. And so, you know, to me, I could be uncertain about a lot of things that I honestly don't care anything or I don't care anything about, right? So it could be, you know, did I say hi to this random stranger? I might have, um, but it doesn't concern me, the fact that I could have, or it might have been a possibility. But for other things, right, and, you know, related to moral and religious forms of OCD, Mm -hmm. uh, it's matters that, you know, we're deeply concerned about, right? Like, does God accept us, right? Or, what is uh, our future state right after we die and, and those sorts of questions. Are we a good person that, you know, are things that are important. And so when it sort of, when it's those things, then we're sort of, um, I guess, more attentive to whether or not it's 
it's something that we have certainty about or not. Yeah, absolutely. You've said, you said it very well. It's that our uh, OCD will latch on to the thing that's most important to you. It's kind of the, um, uh, the thing that you'll hear. So if your faith is really important to you, that's going to be partially what your brain latches onto and says, hey, this is, this is something that's important to you. You value it. You care about it deeply. So let's make sure that nothing bad happens to it. Let's make sure that there aren't any pitfalls that could uh, hurt you or redirect you in a bad way or do cause any harm in any way. And that's this constant search is looking for the pitfalls. And that's, there's a, that's a, a, a natural and wonderful part of our human brain that it, it does that stuff. It looks out for the dangers for us. But the problem is it's latched onto something um, excessively and unnecessarily um, in, in something that you didn't, you haven't wanted it to do, but it's a doing anyways. Sure. Sure. I was wondering, um, and you brought it up twice now, I think, but this idea that, you know, there's a normal condition where people sort of don't like uncertainty. Right. And then there's sort of an obsessive amount of being fixated on the uncertainty and, you know, this is, I guess, an old problem, right? But what defines uh, an obsessive amount of fixating on something versus just normal preoccupation about uncertainty? Yeah, and I, I, I'd say the, a, a broad definition of that would be uh, whether or not it's functional for you and whether or not it's causing distress for you. Again, there, there are a lot of things that we don't have certainty about, um, but but when it starts to jump on to this idea that um, you know when, when the when that uncertainty is causing anxiety or distress or emotional pain or it's it's interfering with your ability to function uh, normally within your life, um, that's when it that's when it reaches that clinical problematic approach. So a significant sort of interference in in daily living, things like that. Yes. Got it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so, you know, what would be some tips or strategies for embracing uncertainty? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It's, it's hard to anybody out there who's struggling with uncertainty. I'll, I'll acknowledge that it's, it can be hard, especially when they've gone so long trying to get certainty. Um, they're, they're, part of part of <clears throat> one of the ways that you can practice accepting uncertainty is is honest is is through practicing being uncertain and practicing that you can that uncertainty isn't a problematic emotional state or psychological state it's a state that may be uncomfortable or not really fun but is is a livable one and is a doable one. We can get through those things. Um, we can get through those moments without engaging in a unhelpful cycle or unhelpful or even problematic or even uh, harmful behaviors that some folks will do in order to try to get that, that level of certainty. Um, and that level of certainty it can also shift and, and move around a little bit, right? They call it uh, moving the goalpost, right? It's that, you know, 
so for, for example, maybe, you know, you've, you felt uncertain about your faith. So, you know, you, 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 you pray for a half an hour and you read, you know, 10 verses, maybe that worked that made you feel okay. But the next time uh, you need to pray for 45 minutes and you need to read 20 verses. And that's what gets the same level of, of certainty or gets you to that place. Um, but, but instead we want to be practicing uh, accepting that sometimes we're just going to be uncertain and it's not for, um, it's, it, it's not for lack of trying. It's not for the desire to have it, nor does it say anything then about you individually. It's that, you know, if you have a history of, of anxiety disorders, this may be a, a, a an experience a feeling that shows up when you didn't ask it to, and when is in an inappropriate timing. So it's to say, how do we accept and move on from that to say, all right, this stinks and I don't like it, but I'm not going to engage with that process that I know ultimately at the end of the day just gets me further wrapped up in knots. I'm going to let it go and instead go do something else um, that's more meaningful to you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I was wondering about this approach and you know i'm not sure if it's a compulsion or if it's something that would help um with ocd recovery um so it's this so imagining i guess the scenario if someone's you know worst ocd fear came true right yeah and you know imagining for instance if they're scared of being you know socially rejected because of something they did and they sort of play out that scenario happening in their head and then sort of being okay with that outcome. Uh, So in this case, being socially rejected is fine and saying, yeah, if that happens, um, wouldn't be an issue. I could, I could handle that. Mm -hmm. Would that type of, I'm not sure what to call it, but thinking hypothetically about, the worst outcomes and then being okay with it or trying to be at one with it is, would that help or is that a compulsion? I think that can be helpful. It can be helpful, but it's also, what is it that we're accepting? Are, are, are you accepting that, that experience of uncertainty about the future and uncertainty about rejection or are you accepting the reality of rejection? Because those are those are two different things, and OCD tends to um, conflate those two um, and say that the the thought about this is the same as the thing is the same as the outcome. So the thought of rejection is the same as rejection, and those two aren't the same. Um, you know, oftentimes what we're doing in, in this example. Um, you know, we, we want to wait until someone says they're rejecting us or we want to wait for the evidence that someone is rejecting us. And furthermore, it's, it's, it's hard for us to then say, you know, that event is the reason that this other event happened um, short of a, 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 a direct, uh, direct information, direct acknowledgement that, that that event led to this outcome. Right. Um, but instead in the moment, what, what, can sometimes, or what what might be more helpful for this scenario is saying, all right, 
maybe there was this thing that you did in the past that was maybe the distant past and the recent past that was embarrassing, that was not how you wanted to act, that was, you know, personally disappointing and not what you wanted to do. And um, that sense of guilt, maybe in in proper proportions, that that can point us to a sense of saying, you know what, I need in a future situation, a future scenario like that, I need to do something different. But constantly ruminating about it won't change the event. Constantly ruminating about it won't change the future because we're not in those situations where you can then enact that change. Instead, what we're doing is we're saying, for right now, I have to accept this feeling of uncertainty about the future. My brain is giving me mental images of being rejected. I'm having these stories play out in my head of being rejected. Um, and I have this you know, ominous, terrible feeling in my gut, and I'm tired and exhausted and frustrated and angry. But that's what's, happen- that's what's happening right now, not that rejection that my brain is proposing to me. Right now, all it is is this feeling of disappointment. And that is what we have to accept as present, but not the reality of the thought itself. Does that make sense? Right, right. So there might be a bit of thought, action, fusion going on. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. Because um, then if you're sort of entertaining the thought, I suppose you're sort of legitimizing um, the thought more and legitimizing perhaps raising in your in your mind how likely or possible it is by simply entertaining the the hypothetical scenarios that would happen mm-hmm. exactly yeah cool um so what things maybe don't help for uh you know tolerating uncertainty or embracing uncertainty well, we've 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 already outlined a bunch of um, a bunch of great ones. If you are if you're really seeking to um, to mess yourself up and to make yourself worse, um, ruminating is a great way to do that. Um, playing over the same thought over and over and over again, uh, twisting them to try to um, make them feel different or to feel like you you life or the outcome of it would have been different. Uh, that's a great way to do it. Playing out all the future scenarios about what might happen ex- and really getting to the nitty gritty of exactly what you might do differently or what you will do in every different scenario. Uh, that is a great way to amplify up anxiety. Um, I, I constantly seeking reassurance is a great way to make things worse. Um, you know, asking your friends, Hey, did I, am I okay? Am I all right? Asking a pastor, Hey, you know, I've, I, I said, I, I said the prayer. Is that like, should I, I should do it again? Right. You think I should do it again? Um, you know, reading the same verses over and over and over again. Um, uh, or, you know, getting, getting angry at, uh, getting angry at, at God is a, is a, is a great way. Now, not, not to say I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, trigger some people by saying that sometimes we're angry and God is big enough to hold that and handle that. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our active spending excessive amounts of time in that it's, it's certainly not going to be very helpful. It's just like ruminating, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's ruminating of the past by the future. Um, 
and, and avoiding our life is going to be an unhelpful process too. avoiding responsibilities, avoiding people and avoiding, avoiding facing those uncomfortable situations is um, not going to help either. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for sharing those. Um, another question, and we sort of talked about this a bit, this idea of, of faith, right? And, and, you know, the podcast is about moral and religious forms of OCD. And so faith is, is a big component. Um, how, how might that relate to uh, OCD, to uncertainty, um, just generally. So the, so the question is about um, how does faith relate to uncertainty? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, if we're talking about religious faith, um, I think that they, they overlap a lot. Um, I think with, within, I, I think faith, faith and uncertainty are sometimes saying the same thing. It's, you know, call in, you know, within religious faith is we call it faith and not proof, or we call it faith and not certainty. Um, you know, faith is, is not having, is not having all of the answers, but taking the, taking the answers you've been given and trusting them, um, try and trusting them and moving forward with them as, as if they are, as if you have proof and certainty. Um, there's, um, uh, uh, Ted Witzick, um, uh, he's, uh, he's a, 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 a psychologist and a pastor, and uh, he does a lot for uh, the religious scrupulosity um, community. Um, he, gives, he offers this definition of faith that I really like. It's faith is trusting God through the doubt. Hmm. So it's having, it's having doubt. It's not saying you don't have it. It's you have it, but that you are trusting. And that can, that's an active step. You are trusting God through the faith that God knows it and, 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 and God knows the answers to things, but we don't, we have the doubt. God doesn't. So we're trusting God in that process. So that's, you know, faith and uncertainty are going to be intertwined in that sense. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Cause I also had <laughs> one of his quotes that relates to this, um, in a seminar that he did, which is faith is not the absence of feeling uncertain. Faith is going forward through the uncertainty, which yeah, hits, hits the same idea. Yeah, it's exa- exactly that. Hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting because you mentioned this before, I guess there's, one school of thought, if we get very philosophical, that suggests, you know, faith, um, we have faith in everything, right? Nothing is sort of, uh, no belief, I guess, is is certain, except, of course, maybe that belief that nothing is certain. Um, you know, Descartes had this thought experiment, right, where he would doubt all of his experiences and, you know, suggest there could be, you know, an evil demon sort of feeding me all these sensory experiences uh, to make me think, you know, that I'm sitting down recording a podcast right now when in fact I'm somewhere else in the world, right? Um, It is possible, you know, we're in a simulation. There's that logical possibility. And so in some ways on, on that definition of, of what certainty is, you know, most, if not all of our beliefs 
do not amount to that sort of certainty. Everything could be doubted in a way. And so everything sort of has a component of faith, which is, which is really interesting and I think relates to this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's when, when you start getting into the abstract and start getting into philosophical components of things, it's, you know, any, anything is possible then. Right. Um, you know, I give, I give this example recently and I've, I, you know, it's, it's, um, it can be annoying for some people, but you know, we, when we let go of reality or in order to, to watch a movie, especially like a fantasy movie, we have to let go of reality, right? If you're watching the Lord of the Rings, um, if you have the time to watch Lord of the Rings, you know, it's, it's asking you to let go of a lot of things that we take, that we take for granted here in reality, that magic doesn't exist, that there is no magical ring that you touch. That's going to turn you into a monster. Elves don't exist, but in that world, we're going to say, all right, now those things do. So within Hmm. that world now, you've already let go of so much of what you don't, so much of reality. What's one more thing then? What's one more thing that we could add to it that we can just say, sure, that's possible too. Hmm. So it's hard then in this, in this kind of balance between, um, you know, what we can trust and what, what we can trust here in reality and what we know, you know, we can talk about maybe, you know, what we trust in terms of doctrine, in terms of what our faith uh, leaders and what our faith traditions have to say and relying on those as truth and trust and rounding those up to fact versus, you know, all the stuff that could jump in and say, well, you know, this, it, this is possible and drawing that line of saying, you know, that's, that is too far gone. And that's, you know, part of one of the tricks is pulling yourself back from getting sucked too far or just getting sucked into that fantasy land of, of existential possibility. But like you said, possible is not the same as probable. It's just, it, it could be, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you for um, entertaining all these questions. Um, of course. Yeah, I was wondering just to sort of conclude here, um, to someone who might be struggling with moral religious forms of OCD, what words of hope would you give them? As, as I say with everything, it gets, it gets better. It gets better. When you recognize, um, uh, uh, Alec Pollard talks about this, that not every, not there isn't one faith out there where every single person is really, is religiously or morally scrupulous. So it's not that faith is a problem. It is the application of it. And it's often the application within an individual where things are, um, uh, twisted or ignored or exaggerated that, uh, in other words, we've, we're, we're stepping into that fantasy where we accept possible and we round it up to probable. Um, so there, there is, there is hope that people with, even within the religious tradition that you have, there's hope to live it and to do it in a non-scrupulous way. And that, that is the key of it is it's not to say the way out of religious scrupulosity is by abandoning your faith. No, it's to trust your faith is to actually do your faith 
but doing it in a way that is consistent within that faith tradition. What often people are doing within that gets them wrapped up in religious scrupulosity is it's saying the, the, these verses, these concepts, these processes apply to everybody else except for you. You need to do more, or you need to do it differently, or you need to do it in this very, very special way that is only germane to you. But everybody else, they, they, they don't have this special knowledge that you do. Or they, they're not held to account as much as you are. What that does is it's, you're, you are letting go of the traditional faith that you, that you are uh, saying to follow and instead following a, a, a false guidebook, a false rule book that is only made for you and is only given to you by what I call OCD God. OCD God and regular God, they kind of look similar, but they are very, very, very different. When, when there, so what I want to do is I want to help someone to follow regular God in, in the tradition that they would like. And it's to try to get them to do that more consistently, more consistently and do it more, more in line with what the average person is doing. So that that's the long way of saying um, there is hope out there and it's not through abandoning your faith. It is indeed through your faith that you can get through this. Lovely. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Of course. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to mention by way of conclusion? Uh, it's a good question. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to say to, to, to add a second cap to this. Uh, what I'll, what I'll say is, um, be kind to yourself in the process. This is hard and you aren't the first person and you aren't the only person going through this process and experiencing this pain and the sense of loss and the sense of disconnection or the sense of rejection, um, it feels like you are, but you aren't. Um, by the fact that this podcast and those podcasts exist, by the fact that my podcast exists, by the fact that um, all, all the books um, and all the you know all, all the videos online uh, exist that talk about this is evidence that you aren't the only person. So trust or trust that it it's it, it is hard, but that you aren't a unique and a special failure in this is that you're struggling with something called obsessive compulsive disorder, not uh, faith, uh, faith lacking disorder or not insufficiency disorder. It's obsessive compulsive disorder. And we want to treat it like that and disconnect it from this false belief that it has something that it is your faith. That is the problem it has nothing to do with your faith. It has everything to do with, a sense of uncertainty, elevating possible into probable, and pushing away from traditional uh, traditional beliefs. So give yourself some grace and patience within that. Be kind to yourself, like you would be kind to anybody else in your in your uh, religious group. If they had the same problem and came up to talk to you about it, you wouldn't shame them. You would support them and love them. Do the same for yourself. Thanks, Kevin. You've been amazing. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on.
Yes, of course. I'll make sure to put your podcast in the show notes uh, so listeners can have access to that and as well as any other info you'd like to, to provide. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, they can if they want to learn more, they can go over to fearcastpodcast.com or there's um we're you know, I'm up on iTunes and every Spotify everywhere else that podcasts exist. Um but uh you can le- learn more about it and I have, a, I have a faith and doubt series as well where I talk more about this and talk to other um uh faith leaders, pastors, rabbis about uh these concepts. So, um it's something that I'm I'm very passionate about and and um I I'm want to try to get as much good information out there and just just as you are doing with your podcast as well appreciate that and to the listeners i'll just say by way of conclusion for your sake and mine please be good to yourselves thanks kevin thank you